Welcome to the Highway to Well with Derek Bell. What if we could recapture what wellness means? What if we could strive to add more good rather than focus on less bad? What if we moved away from a zero-sum prevention model to one that is expressive, collaborative, creative, and innovative? Isn't that what wellness was and has always been about? Today we're talking with Craig Becker, a leader and advocate for advancing salutogenesis. Craig's work has spanned 30 years, and he aims to support our efforts to think prospectively about how to create, enhance, and improve physical, mental, and social well-being. We'll talk about how individuals and organizations can increase engagement, empowerment, and build an emboldened collective to thrive. Thank you again for listening. Let's get on the highway to well. Professor of Health Education and Promotion at the College of Health and Human Performance at East Carolina University. Craig has been a longtime advocate and researcher in the field of salutogenics, and that's why I have him here today. I think we're at this interesting place in our field in wellness where we've crossed so many paths and we've kind of distorted our past and tried to figure out what our future might look like. And Craig has carved out this path in his research and through his work in salutogenics that offers a perspective that is something that we might need to hear more of. It ties into a lot of, uh, a lot of feelings and a lot of the conversations I've been having with wellness professionals, especially under this COVID cloud of needing to really get to the heart and, and soul of what it is that we're trying to achieve when we talk about wellness. So Craig, thank you for joining me on the highway to well, welcome. And I want you to, yeah, I want you to dive. I want you to tell me, so for, for a lot of our listeners, so salutogenics is a word and, and it may have crossed our path several times, but I think it's worth you spending some time talking to us about the meaning and where it's really the roots of salutogenics and then talk about how this is part of the wellness spectrum, but how it's also differentiated between other parts of that wellness spectrum, like disease management, risk reduction, and health promotion. Sure. Well, thank, thank you for reaching out and asking me, Derek. It's been a bit of a year since we've, we've been working together, which so I'm glad to connect with you again. Yeah, thank you. So salutogenesis was something I ran across when I was doing my uh, PhD work. But salutogenesis is literally the origins of health, which seems to make perfect sense. Wouldn't we try to figure out? So it's, it's the creation of health and how to be to get more health. The salutogenic question is how can we be moved towards, towards greater health? Um, to me, it's a perfect complement with wellness because to me, wellness is positive health and illness is negative health. So to create this to wellness, we should take a salutogenic path or a health-creating path. Pathogenesis is, is not replacing pathogenesis because pathogenesis is the origins of disease, which allows us to, for acute care, to take care of things that are problems and get, and get us back to zero or not sick. But to move past being not sick, we should, I think salutogenesis is the key for creating more good, not just less bad. And we talked before, prevention, you know, if prevention works, we get nothing. We were just not sick. But to be really, to have a really good life and to do what we want to do, we need more health. And that's where I think salutogenesis provides a helpful avenue for that. Yeah, in your research, so you've 
and you've been doing this for some time. What what is it about? So there are a couple key metric or key points that I want you to focus on for me here, and talk to me about what you've learned about offering a salutogenic approach or through salutogenesis. How does that increase engagement and performance per se? So, and you talk about you know. So when we talk about prevention, we're, we're talking about the lack of disease. So we're trying to prevent disease or mitigate disease so that we can live healthy. But what you're talking about is really proactively engaging in our well-being and thriving. And so and a lot of that is and hinges on our ability to stay engaged and perform well and, and really maximize a lot of our physical, mental, and social well-being. So through your research, how, how is it that we can increase engagement performance through solidogenesis? That's a big question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what, my work is, what I've done with my work is I've created the salutogenic wellness promotion scale. Now, what that measures is engagement in seven dimensions of health. And it's shown there are seven separate dimensions, which is a factor analysis, but it's different. In physical, social, emotional, spiritual, intellectual, vocational, and environmental. So it's things that you engage in on a regular basis that promote health in those areas. But they're not separate areas because they all are obviously interrelated and interconnected. And what the research has shown is the more they're engaged in these things, just as Bella and Breslin showed a long time, the cumulative, cumulative, cumulative behaviors that promote health, the healthier you are. The higher your health, the higher your performance. And the performance has been measured at school. It's been measured at work. It's been measured um, in older adults. It was measured with... Um, satisfaction in life. They also have significantly higher life satisfaction if they're engaged more. And you know what else? They have less problems. So I haven't done a longitudinal study to find out if they have problems, do they recover faster? I would only have my own personal experiences from that. Now, a big difference, because um, we're looking at outcome, measure. the outcome measure is the presence of something good rather than the absence of something bad. So the presence, so you have to, to define, you have to define that. Like for a big study I did at thriving at school, I looked at the presence of, so I, I had to define thriving. And I said, thriving for me was high health status and high GPA for students. And I remember the reviews came back and they said, don't you mean surviving, not thriving? I'm like, no, I don't want kids to just survive through school. I want them to do really well so they can be great contributors to society once they leave. If they just survive school, then they don't have the competencies to really build and be great contributing members of society. So the difference is, is looking, it's how do we create something more good, not just pathogenesis, how do we get rid of the bad? How do, how do we end, end disease? And that just really gets us ready for life. Salutogenesis is how to live more life more fully. Yeah, so it's so interesting. So the point, I think, and I think it's one of these statements that like you, when you make it, it takes, a, if you take a pause and just think, okay, the presence of something good versus the presence of something bad. So we in the wellness field have become very good at measuring bad. And we've created our full, our, our, a lot of our corporate industry in the health and wellness promotion at the organizational corporate level starts with measuring bad. So, and so that, or I should say there's some good there, but what we're really looking for is, how many people are sick or likely to get sick or trying to predict what conditions are going to cost us the most amount of money. Okay. And 
So that creates a, that narrows the scope of what we're trying to do, because if that's what we're assessing, we've narrowed our focus to disease prevention and we call it wellness, but it's really disease prevention and disease management, which does have value. So I do want to state that there is value to managing sickness at the workplace and sickness within an organization, but under the umbrella of wellness, it gets distorted and then it it doesn't allow us to some degree, or at least my argument is going to be, and you can agree or refute it, is then my argument would be that it really, it prevents us from having the conversations about mental and social well-being that are sometimes harder to initially assess, but require other kinds of data points for us to be thinking about how does this impact our organizational setting? And, and those are the issues that we need to spend more time on because that is where we find like to your point about not just being good but thriving and for us to determine what it means to be thriving rather than just focus on prevention efforts a lot of thoughts that went through my mind as you talked about that and you hit it right nail on the head of course is getting rid of disease obviously doesn't create wellness it creates non-disease which is good which is wonderful so i don't want to say in any any time ever which people always used to assume i was saying salutogenesis not pathogenesis they're complements salutogenesis because when you have if you're like if you're like me you had a car accident you want the doctors to take care of you that is acute care they need to take care of you but once you're once you're out of danger you need to get get better i mean the only choice is either you get better or you don't and pathogenesis really can't get us, it can only get us less risked, not not, even, not more healthy. And salutogenesis is about how do we engage in a process that's going to help us be more able to handle it, have more capabilities so that when things do come up, like COVID, we are more prepared and ready to deal with these things. So that, we can't prevent everything. That'll, that'll never happen. But we can have a better life all the time. And as we're, and, and I think I talked about before, our highest life satisfaction is when we feel like we're making progress towards desired goals rather than necessarily when we reach a goal. I mean, everybody reach a goal. They're excited. Yeah, that's great. But then what? You know, so progress is what we want to focus on. So how do we continue to move forward? So how can we, so based on what we're really talking about here, how can we move organizations to be thinking more about salutogenic approach or, as a complement to their wellness programming rather than exhausting all their resources on disease prevention and disease management. So, and I know Dee Eddington's been one of those, one of those foremost leaders in talking about, we spend all of our money on the sick. What if we spent more time on keeping healthy people healthy or trying to improve the corporate and culture environment, which is, those are buzz. That's the big buzz area now is culture, especially with so many people working remotely and the impact that COVID's had. Culture has always been a word that has, has been something we've been addressing and been talking about, but it's really it's really pushed its way up to the forefront in redefining what a culture means and how do we how do we integrate practices that are wellness focused into that culture and get away from the the, the approach of always trying to just manage disease with our wellness programming. So how do we, how can we get organizations to be thinking about this in a different way? Well, 
it's a, obviously a very good question. It's a difficult one to answer because nobody's cracked the code. The um, I don't think it's an either or answer because it's not like we have to stop managing difficult situations. But if you build a culture that helps people thrive, it's also it has to also make it less likely for them to get disease. And it also means that they have to have resources available for them when they have difficult situations to deal with it if they do. But that means they will have had a, built a support network, a social support network already because they had friends, they had fun things to do together. So when things come up that they weren't expecting, that social support network's there. It's like um, disaster preparedness is kind of, it, it always, uh, for my students, I have them, um, they have chapters and one of the chapters is like disaster preparedness or violence prevention. And I tell them your job is to make uh, the university thrive and accomplish our mission more effectively. It cannot be about the topic, which is disaster preparedness or violence prevention, but that has to be a byproduct of what you do. So one of the students created a, a green university, made a living university where we teamed up with, with a uh, Tesla. So we had, had a green university and we did that. We made a living lab. So, so the students were, we're building it. And then if a disaster did happen, we're in good shape because we have the green energy. We could share with the community and do things or do different things. So the goal is how do we make them thrive? That also makes us more prepared if something difficult happens. Like for violence, it was about how do we create a caring community, a community where people care about things. They actually have our pride in the, in the campus or pride in the city. So obviously that makes it less likely for violence. And it's going to mean people are going to stand up for what they believe in. So it's how do we create the things that are going to make it? Well, I call it the green grass theory. How do we how do we create the kind of things that we know we want to have that push out or crowd out the things we don't want? So how can we how can we grow as many blades of grass as possible? Because if we do that, we're less likely to, it'll push the weeds out. If we just walk around and kill all the weeds, we're just gonna have a bunch of brown spots. We're not gonna have a full lush lawn. But if instead we we grow tons and tons of blades of grass, then we have a very lush lawn. And it makes it very difficult for those weeds to grow. And if they do grow, we can pull them out because they'll be so out of place. So in life, if we fill a life full of things that are pushing us towards the person we want to become. And we're always doing those kind of things. If we do something that, that isn't pushing us in that direction, it'll seem so out of place. We're like, well, wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't really being a, this isn't going to contribute to me being the person I want to be. So then you can pluck that out of your life or find a better way to do things. Well, that doesn't that tie into, and I know over the past few years, there have been some really strong advocates and proponents of, of purpose. So of purpose as a theme in our wellness field. Vic Strecker um, has been out in the forefront of that. And, it, and the thing about that conversation, we were briefly talking about this, is, is that while it's brought up and it's talked about in this is a new pathway for us to get to a world that you're talking about where individually if we find purpose then we tend to get rid of the negative or detrimental things that are part of our life or we're holding us back from our purpose but we discover our purpose and it leads to healthier living it leads to a, a more engaged pathway to thriving so just globally if we start with that then we end up getting rid of like what you said, like some of the weeds because we find that they're inconsequential or they're just, or they're negative or they're holding us back. And so we kind of start down that path. And, and so, and we're choosing behavior 
and starting to change our behavior to try to get to that purpose and try to try to get there. And so as we've as we've come along in the field and we're talking about this as, as a new way, but like you and I were talking about before we started recording here, this isn't new necessarily. This is what the field was founded on ages ago. And somewhere we've we've kind of diverted our paths or created so many multiple paths and so loud voices yell out about risk reduction and health promotion. And, and here we are kind of getting back to the core, which is makes this message wonderful, circular, but wonderful. And that what we're really talking about is that if we, if we live our life with purpose and we're moving forward, then we can, first of all, we can do some disease management, disease prevention and mitigation along that pathway, but we might not. So, and I, and I always, I will forever remember one of the, one of the most incredible presentations at the National Wellness Conference was watching Fern Karnas give her legacy talk after watching her battle breast cancer for years and talking about the beauty of her dragon boat racing and the beauty of the social connections and how those are the pieces of her life that have carried her as far as she's gotten and will carry her as far as she can get in spite of living with disease. And, and constantly fighting disease. And so when we talk about what we really want people to focus on in their well-being is to, is to live a fruitful life and do everything that you can to, you know, to find your why, to live your purpose, yes, but also to help yourself mitigate the consequences of part of the disease you can prevent, but also sometimes disease that you can't, and that we should continue to try to live a life worth full of meaning and purpose in spite of that. Sure, you're asking, there's a lot of things in there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there was a question. I just started thinking about what you were saying and I wanted to respond to that. And then somewhere there was a question, but then I kept talking through it. (laughs) One thing you talked, I mean, I I wrote a bunch of notes down. Um, You talk about we diverted our path away from wellness to disease because it's easier. It's way easier to identify a disease then, you know, to, to see strong, more capabilities that, that you're building potential. And then you, and for one thing, wellness takes longer. You know, disease happens in a second and your wellness shows up right away. Wellness, wellness happens over the longer term. Purpose, no question. I think everybody finds a purpose. I think that we need to figure out how we have a, each can have a purpose so that each of us kind of help build each other. So they're, the cumulative purposes that build a better, a better world, a better nation and help you want to help everybody thrive. It's not, we're never going to get anywhere we're pushing others down to lift ourselves up. we got to figure out how do we raise everybody up? It's not going to, it's never going to work to push others down so that we can go higher. The, um, you want everybody to do well. So how do we, and that's what, because that's what wellness is all about is helping everybody and helping society do better. And I'm reading a, Great. Uh, Freakonomics is a really good podcast. I listen to it a lot. And I read the books that they've, uh, Stephen Dunn did, did the presentation. And one of the things he recently had an interview about was donut economics. And I just started reading it, but it talks a lot about these things and how we have to start focusing on um, what makes society thrive, not just what pays the most out. And one thing she talked about was that language is really powerful. She said, you know, nobody's going to argue with tax relief. But, you know, nobody's going to do, do those types of things. So you have to think about 
like the difference you talk about, are we consumers or are we citizens? I mean, if we think of ourselves as consumers, then our one purpose is to buy stuff. If we think of ourselves as citizens, then our job is to help our neighbors, to contribute to the state, to do what we can to, to um, be educated. So we, we have a much more holistic role in society and how we can help society be better. If we're a citizen, we're a part of the whole. But if we're a consumer, all we have to do is buy. So how we label stuff, and I, and I haven't really figured out how to use this very well yet, but it's, I think our language is really important. So if we talk about disease prevention and call that wellness, well, then all they have to do is just not do anything wrong. But wellness to me is about doing something right that's going to give us more in our life. So the outcome can't be the absence of something bad, but it has to be the presence of something good. How did, did you help your neighbor? Did you help your son? Did you help your daughter? Did you help your, your spouse? How, how are you helping your organization um, contribute to the community? Uh, those types of things. Does that make sense or was I just... No, I, I, that, that does make sense. And it, there's a lot of value into reshaping that definition of wellness because for long we've we've ridden that disease prevention model and then we narrow our focus and then something let's say like COVID happens and now what does what does a corporate culture look like what is meaning of our work what is the meaning of our work what is our purpose and how do we how do we handle and how are we built to be resilient in times like this? All of those are usually indicators of things that are helping us thrive and helping us the, the parts of our life that we, we love the most or that we want to strive to be better at. So as to your point about, you know, the wellness needs to be the presence of something good. So at the corporate level, if we could, you know, start at this at this baseline of that we want everyone to be happy and healthy when they work here. Okay, so what does that mean? That may mean that we provide enough resources to maintain health, but also, what can we do to improve their their love of their work, their connections with their fellow employees, and how can we improve their their desire to perform and grow and those are like you said like as, as we talk about growing and measuring things because we like to do that in our field we like to see what we can measure so how do we change that that cultural argument away from being that disease prevention or like that consumer type model where it's just a cost a basic cost structure to a citizen approach, one that involves what have we done that's good and how we helped others, and and that ties into I, that ties into a lot of what I've seen lately in our discussions as 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 wellness professionals and how can we help organizations get through this stage. So to some degree, I want you to talk a, about what has COVID, how has that impacted some of what your work is done or what you're thinking about in terms of salutogenesis, but also just tie it back to the that corporate environment and how can we take an opportunity like COVID has presented and expand our our opportunity to redefine wellness into mental and social approaches to building culture. 
as usual, you have a lot of interesting points, good points. Um, wrote a bunch of things down. I don't think we should just try to get through COVID. I don't think that's the right approach. We have to think, how are we going to be stronger on the other end of COVID? How are we going to be more, res- how are we not going to be more, and resilient is not the right word, because resilient means we bounce back from difficulty and get back to where we were. We want to be stronger than we were before. So, you know, I, I heard a pod, it was um, on the daily, they said, we don't want people to just be resilient. We got to, things have to be different if we want them to be better. They can't, we can't just get back to where we were. We got to build a better system. So how can we be stronger? Like one of the things I put on my, uh, my blog was I said, people should, there's a free Deming 12 day course that you can take that's available for everybody, which in Deming, I mean, Deming was the quality management guru, uh, taught Japan in the fifties and then America in the eighties when it was, Japan can't, why can't we? Everything he did, I think, is what I've applied to health. Because he was about how do we improve the process so the product, which is health in this case, takes care of itself. So continually improve the product. And he was about creating a positive outcome, about higher quality, better products, uh, job uh, pride in workmanship, better work. And, you know, they had less costs, they had less defects. The problems just went away as a side effect of higher quality. So going towards something positive for creating. You talked about how do we um, get people to care at organizations. And I think that has to go right back to the mission of the organization. I tell my students all the time, if you don't agree with the mission of the organization and you don't want to make that happen, make that make that something to strive towards, you know, you're not going to want to go to work every day. I mean, you want to, you want to find, you want to have something you care about. I remember reading about people that when they were first inventing the Prius, they said they were so motivated and excited to make the Prius because they really felt like they were making a wonderful contribution to society because they had a, it was a better option. And I know that's happening with Tesla, but I have not seen studies on the worker satisfaction of Tesla. Interface, which I did a presentation about some time ago, is an amazing company. Uh, Ray Anderson converted the company that he built a billion-dollar company and said, we're going to make our, our carpet company a restorative company because right now what we're doing is destroying the world. So he completely changed his, his organization around. So they they were end up making it a re, making it a restorative company. The first they were going for mission zero, so they weren't putting waste in the world, and then they want to become a restorative company. So they're actually building building the earth back instead of taking it away from it. And I think that should be our goal. When we can agree with the mission and we can find something that we care about, that's going to give us purpose. And the purpose has to be something that's contributing to make the society better. How is the organization like you, your work? I mean, you must feel. A lot of purpose if you can feel like you can make those organizations more effective and better to do things i mean that's a reason to get up that's a reason to want to, want to be better to be strong to, to know more to learn more from different people so that you can do do your job better so it's not just about getting through COVID. i don't think that's what we should try to do i think we should be better on the other end of COVID. yeah that that's such an excellent point and, and i think that's where our our focus on resiliency is worth diving in and discussing what does that really mean? So how are we defining resiliency and what does that, what does it mean? Are we coping or are we, to your point, are we, are we handling our day to day with the plan to be better as we've learned through this process? So are we providing a proactive process oriented growth strategy or are we just kind of suffering and getting through the day without taking the opportunity to apply the next steps towards greatness? And you look at, so 
even in like a small community like ours, businesses that thrived during a shutdown were the ones that pivoted, that that pivoted quickly, changed operation, developed hooks and different things that they do that are needed and they filled the void or they felt they filled into an area where whatever product or service that they had, but they, they made a change pretty quickly. And for us to look at that model as a business approach to resiliency and say, okay, well, how can I COVID may or may not, you know, have a, a deadline where it just ends. We we're not there yet. We're, we cannot determine how much longer, this fingerprint is going to last if it's even going to go away or if we're going to have this lasting fingerprint. So as part of my resiliency and growth strategy, what have I learned and what have I, what have I been able to apply so that I myself as an individual thinking about what you're talking about in salutogenics and salutogenesis. So how can I live a better life? Because right now I'm exhausted and I need to add, I need to add, these tools or these resources or, or what can I add next that helps me get through that? So maybe from discussions with your class or some of the work that you've done. So let's talk just briefly here about resiliency. Like what, what do we need to move forward through this to be better at the end? Well, I think we can't just be thinking about how do I get over this and say, where do I, what am I going? Where am I going? What am I going towards? What am I trying to, what do I want to be, be, you know, I just want to be able to go out or do things, but if you have more competencies and more abilities, it's, it's a search, it's education and learning how you can be better at what you're, what you're doing. And because resilience, um, what I was trying to get back to is that resilience is not always a virtue. If it's, if that all is, that's all it's for was the, was the quote. Um, it's like, we're just trying to, um, get back, but the system's got to change because every, the big thing is it's, it's all about systems. A, a good, a bad system will beat a good person every time because if we can, if we don't build better systems, we're never going to have the kind of outcomes we want. So we have to think about how do we build, uh, build a better system. So we may want to look into how do we redesign things so that it gives people the possibility. I mean, the um, Teachers are working really hard right now. I mean, my wife is a teacher, my daughter's a teacher, and they work their butts off. And what they've been doing, <laughs> I can't believe this, what they're doing is they're trying, they're, they're nitpicking them about hours. Like, don't take more than a half hour for lunch or if you go away or certain days. Or, and yet they're there 10 minutes a day early. They work, I mean, my wife has been working till late at night almost every day. She gets texts from parents all the time because they're, they're virtual. And you know, that's not the way to go. And I just heard um, the presentation on Netflix and ne the big thing for Netflix when they grew and they changed was they just said, I'm just going to trust people to do what's right. And think, how do we build, how do we, how do we have a, in the back to your point on purpose, how do we make this a, a better organization that's going to help fulfill, make people's lives better. And when they did that, he said, it unleashed all kinds of creativity. They were willing to do things and build things and make it better. It may, he said it was their biggest growth ever when he just said, I'm not going to babysit you anymore. I'm gonna, I mean, you guys, I hired good people and I'm, I want to need you to create good things. Yeah, I think we see that. We see that time and time again. So when, and if we look at our organization, kind of your, your, your corporate environment, I mean, we have 
companies that do extremely well, it usually comes back to a story like that where they've entrusted the people that they've hired, that they believe in the mission of the organization, and they do what's right by the organization because they care. And so there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity in empowering and thinking about your leadership structures so that they allow for the creative process to take hold. And we've, we've um, one of my good friends, a professional here in town that runs our Create Portage County, we've talked a lot about what could we achieve if, if companies value creativity and made that part of their process. Meaning not, not when I say creativity, I'm not talking about bringing in like a painting class, but problem solving is a part of the dialogue between people who have a vested interest in a plan. So what if we allowed more process and creativity as part of the normal structure of the organization? So more meeting time to talk about problems or there was an example of, and I forget what the name of the company is, but they gave their employees an extra half hour of lunch because the, uh, some of the managers recognized that the, the people on the line were spending time during their lunch hour fixing problems. So if they gave them a little extra time to fix more problems, they had more production and less safety issues and, and problematic issues with their lines. They figured this out because they, they recognized that their employees were during their lunch hour addressing the problems that they didn't have time to talk about while they were working. And so we've, and so when we talk about the creative process, it can mean many things in different avenues. So there's this opportunity to open up creativity because that builds connections. It leads to more creative problem solving. It probably means that someone's more engaged in their work if they're trying to figure problems out and they're solving it and they see production and they see some value in that. And so rewarding that and recognizing that could be one of those opportunities to get to your point about all of this is that we could open that avenue and create better solutions and a healthier culture, right? Now, we give you a little bit of different perspective on that. Now, one thing you talk about when you said you have people that care, that's um, purpose, no question. They feel like they have a purpose. If they care, they feel like they have a purpose. And leadership structures, I think it's, it's not about how the you know, top-down works, but it's giving people the, the power to lead themselves and to, giving them the ability, the resources to do what they want to do. But you went back to focusing on problems, giving them an extra hour to talk about problems. Now, I heard a really good example by, I um, can't remember, it's one of the Deming's disciples, but um, he said, we have these maintenance teams, maintenance, main, you know, maintenance workers, so they maintain what we have. Wouldn't it make more sense to your example you had just then, instead of fixing problems, why don't we have improvement teams? Would that not give them more purpose at the work? Their job is not to maintain what we have right here, but it's how do we make it work better than we did before? I was a EDP auditor in 1986, 85, when my first job was in accounting. And um, that was just 22 year old dingbat. I walked in and um, people were scared of me. I'm saying, well, wait, why are you scared of me? Because my job, I just want to come here and help this be a more efficient and effective organization. How can I help you make this work better? But the system was set up such that, I mean, I wrote my first report and my boss said, well, who are you going to get fired this time? 
like that wasn't that wasn't the that wasn't the system. That wasn't what I meant to do. I want the system to work better, and I want to see how can I help them you know, do it, be a more efficient functioning department so they can contribute more to the organization. So it can't be about looking for problems. It's got to be looking for improvement and how do we all work together to make this more effective. Because I tell my students, one of the most important things you're ever going to do is build strategic alliances. And alliance means it's not for how do people work for you, but how, if you guys work together, will they be able to accomplish their mission more effectively because they're working with you? And how are you better because you're working with them? So how will you be, how together are you better, are you both better able to do your job more effectively because you're together? It can't be like that they're just doing something that you don't want to do. It's got to be, how are they, how, do, how does it make both parties better? And then how together can you both contribute more to society, move society forward? Yeah, I, and now I'm going to be up all night thinking about improvement teams. And well, they're good. <laughs> but then, I mean, would that not be a wonderful job? My job is to help make this work better. So that means that they're going to – all right, when I was uh, – <laughs> I'm going back to my days. I mean, I had so many weird experiences when I was an accountant. And I was supposed to uh, get a scrap query for the Gowate inventory. Now, these were bombs that they made it at Honeywell. And it was – and they told me to make up a scrap query. They said, just figure it out. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. So I said, let me talk to the engineer about what would help him, you know, improve his process. And they were like, well, we don't talk to engineers. <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I don't know how to make this. I don't want to waste my time doing something that's not going to be any use for him. So why would I, why would I do that? And so it's, it's really, you know, how can each, each part help the other part so the whole works better? Do we have to all think that how are we going to contribute to make the whole system work better? We're all, we're all in the same system. We are all a part of the same system. So we, we want to make sure that we're making society work better. I mean, we're to make the we're all part of the, we're actually just animals in the natural system. How do we going to help contribute to making the whole Earth system work better? Yeah, that and that would be a dream job of working in an environment where you're improving things. But isn't that what wellness does? Isn't that what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to make organizations more effective, a better place to work, more desirable place to work, a way they can contribute more to society, a way that they can have more purpose, a way that they're going to make a more better contribution to, to a job they do. I mean, that's our job. That's what wellness does. That's what – I mean, when I went to the first wellness conference in 1998 or seven or whatever it was, I, I, I left and I go – it was like a deja – it was just weird because everybody – was functioning at a higher level than they ever did before. Everybody was nice to each other. We, we were thinking more clearly. We were able to do more things. We always thought if the world was like this, it would be a great place. So I spent the last 20 years, 25 years, trying to make the world like the wellness conference was for the, those weeks at Stevens Point. I mean, that's literally been my, been my goal is to make, to make the world like the, like the wellness week. <laughs> it was the few of us that got to got to experience it when it when it was what it was. Yeah. Well, there's there's something special about any, and I think this is safe to say across the board. Everyone will function at a higher level if they feel like they're part of an emboldened collective. And how do you get there? I think that's ultimately like our goal. So the pathway to getting there is fraught with pitfalls and obstacles and hurdles that we have to jump through, and sometimes. Mm -hmm. They're, they're necessarily helpful, but then sometimes they cause us to narrow our focus and then we lose sight of the big picture. And so we run into these, these 
different paths where ultimately everyone wants a high performing, high functioning culture. So that's, that's always the goal. And yet our pathways to getting there are just so varied and different. And, and I think we've, we've talked so much about the different ways that it can happen or some of the things that should be on the forefront of our minds as we, as we start to think about what does, what can we, you know, like to your point about be stronger, how can we be stronger through this or through today or through these next few weeks and months? And we have several issues that can distract us and, and really make us feel down, whether it's COVID or social injustice and um, some of the other political issues that are going on. You know, we're, we're on a daily trying to get through these days, yet, to your point, we need to be stronger through this and we need to make sure that we're, we're pivoting ourselves and our organizations and our work to a strategy that involves thriving engagement and including those opportunities to improve people's well-being and that is a that is a difficult path that is a difficult path and strategy but i think that's why you and i are and many others we get, we gravitate in towards this field is that we see the we see that opportunity and, and it's our job to be advocates for that experience. So Craig, as we, as we get to the end here, what is it that we want to leave our, the listeners with here about the role that salutogenics and salutogenesis and, and your work and can play in, in making their individual life better? Okay, um, I think you did a really good job of summarizing things and capturing a lot of things, which I mean, which hit me. You talked about how we get diverted sometimes on our path because with problems, you know, you said there's problems along the way when we're trying to do things. So we get diverted because it's easier to fix the problem than it is to keep moving towards that I that idealized outcome. So what I have and what I've done, I've written about this, it's called the pangenesis process. Pangenesis is about creating all good. And I published it and I have articles. So the first thing you want to do is create an idealized outcome, something that cannot exist now and wouldn't exist now no matter what you did, but it's something to move towards, some idealized outcome, something that'd be just awesome. Then you have to figure out what precursors, those are things that need to exist, they're like goals you have to reach if that idealized outcome could be possible to be realized. And then you got to think, how do you optimize the process? What's the process? How do we put a bunch of improvement teams together to build so that in time, maybe 10, 20 years down the road, we'd have those precursors that could exist that can make an idealized outcome possible. And all along the way, we have to keep plotting progress, saying, all right, we did this. This has worked well. This, is, this has helped us. This, is, this has worked well. This is, so we just got to keep noting where we're making progress. And, but progress never ends. So, but like I said, our highest satisfaction we feel like we're making progress. So we want to keep noticing progress, progress, and then it's not about, oh, the other thing about idealized outcome is it's perspective hindsight. So you're going into the future and then you're looking to where things are now and you're trying, and you, you're more likely to see things that may keep you from getting to that idealized future than you would otherwise. So you're kind of doing a pre-mortem, you're figuring out what's going to have to be overcome for us to get here. So then you're going to have to create new systems that can get you to that point. I mean, that's what they did in America when they created the, you know, they created America and moving towards a better union. I mean, they, obviously there was problems and difficulties, but they, they, it's always moving towards a more perfect union. So trying to figure out how do we do that with the goal of liberty, justice, and those idealized outcomes that we want to have. 
So we just have to keep thinking, how can we make progress? How can we move forward? Sometimes we, in America, you know, we, we've taken some steps back, <laughs> but we have to make sure that we're able to figure out how do we plot progress and how do we keep moving forward? Um, but the pangenesis process, and I would encourage, I mean, I, I have all the stuff, all the stuff I talked about it, I think I've listed on my blog. Um, there's discussions about that. There's articles about it. And I think you can access, and it's certainly free for everybody to access. It's just positive health leadership. And I think you can get it, if you put in positivehealthleadership.org, or I think I bought up all the names. So you can do any, 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 any of those things you can try, you should get to it. And put in my name and salute Genesis. If you, you know, if you Google me and salute Genesis, you get a lot of stuff. Sure. And we'll include that in our, in our bio. So if, someone's listening right now, then they can click on the links in, in where we're, where we're sharing this podcast. So Craig, did I answer your question? Yeah. You did. You did. I, I, and I, I think that is a great um, pathway for us to be thinking about. So your idealized outcome starts us off on a, on a forward thinking path. And along the way, then we have to build the strategy that gets us close to that. And, and I do think that sometimes and we, we get too caught up on in our failure of, of one part of a strategy and then that kind of can derail us. But if we have that idealized outcome, we're still, we may be slightly off a path, but we may just have to take a, like a side road to get back to the main road. And that may end up creating better opportunities or you may learn something along the way. So it's, a, it's all part of that process. And that's, that's, I think, the key point is that we're building the process to get somewhere that we're not continually, improve, continually improving that process. Right. I mean, I think they told you, I've heard this, I can't verify it, but they said the rocket going to the moon was off course 97% of the time. So it kept correcting its course mm-hmm. to make sure they got it. So you're always thinking, the, what do I want? What's the idealized app and what do I want to create? And you know, this isn't, I found, I tried something that didn't work. Well, let's, let's go back and figure it out again. It's not a failure. You now know better. Now, you know, you got to find a better way. Something will work. Sure. How do you build on that success to make it better? That's where those improvement teams come in place. How do we build? How do we make it better? Not how do we just fix what was wrong? How do we make it better than it ever could have been otherwise? Yeah. And I think your right. mantra, your personal mantra, create more good, not just let bad in, is such an important well, it's in the, takeaway. It's not for the pirate nation. It's just, <laughs> it is not less bad. It's because it goes in the pirate nation. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank you, Craig, again for, for coming on and we'll share your, your links and information so people can find out more. And there's a wealth of information on the research you've done and the work you've done in your blog. So I encourage everyone to check that out and, and uh, think through those processes. Try to get somewhere better. Appreciate the, the opportunity to talk with you. Yeah, thank you.